Hey, so if you haven't noticed, we've kind of just gone with the theme since Easter uh, that we believe at this church, we still serve the same God that we read about in Scripture. In fact, this song that we've now sung for the last two weeks, and we may sing again next week, I don't know, um, it has kind of become a little bit of an anthem for us because I don't want to be a part of a church that only believes portions of Scripture. Mm, come on. And I don't want to raise a generation, and you're going to hear me use that word a lot today, I don't want to raise a generation of young people that only serve portions of Scripture. Because if you only believe portions of Scripture, then they'll only serve portions of Scripture. Hey. But I believe in the same God that I read about in the Bible. And I believe that he'll do the same thing for this generation through these people that he did for that generation through those people. If we'll believe him in the same way, obey him in the same way, serve him in the... Oh, come on, somebody. We're just getting stirred up this morning. We still serve the same God. Yeah. We have a destiny. It's, it's our turn. Bump your already getting sleepy neighbor and tell them. It's our turn. It's our turn. The gospel is still being written. Have you noticed that the last chapter of the book of Revelation is about things that hasn't happened yet? We stand in the gap of the first four chapters of the book of Revelation and the 19th to 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation. That means heaven's still writing the story and we are a part of what happens in between. Yeah. With that in mind, I want to honor a very special group of people today. Uh, we did our best as a church. Hey, because you give, we were able to purchase and send all over this community an expression, a small expression, but it adds up. Once you do about 18 schools, those finances begin to add up a little bit. But we were able to honor our teachers, coaches, faculty, staff, and administrators all across not just uh, St. Landry, but Acadia and Evangeline Parish as well. If you are a teacher, coach, staff, faculty, administrator, and anyway, could you just wave at me? You don't have to stand up, not trying to embarrass you. Come on, can we praise God? See, you always want your students to raise your hand, and it just came back to you right there. You're like, I don't want to, but you want your students to, and now I made you do it. That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. I, hey, listen, uh, as a church, I want you to know that we understand that you are the saints equipped to do the ministry yeah. on the campuses in this community and the surrounding area. You are the missionaries in our elementary schools, pre-Ks, middle school, junior high, and high school all across this area. You are the light that this generation needs to see. And we truly appreciate you. I, uh, yeah. I asked Pastor Weston to sit with me today and share with me today uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he, he honestly has a, a better relationship with many of those people than I do. Um, and he certainly has a closer relationship with more of the students than I do, being our student and connections pastor who has really evolved over the last almost five, over five years. You celebrated your fifth year not too long ago. Um, by we, I mean your students and your student leader team uh, did a great job celebrating you and all that God is using you and uh, my better than you sister to do here <laughs> at this church. Did you know that we have over 80, average over 80 teenagers, middle school, junior high, and high school? That doesn't even include elementary school per week in this worship center. Uh, it's one of the reasons we don't still have Wednesday night services. They outgrew the other building, so we had to put them in here. And uh, we wanted to use it as an excuse to do small groups anyway. So I have Pastor Weston with me today. Uh, like me. He was raised in church, yep. um, vacation Bible school uh, in multiple locations, whether you wanted to or not, yep. um, learned all the stories, have seen all the flannel boards, yes. all the characters. Goliath. Come on, y'all remember flannel boards. Come on, somebody. <laughs> uh, if you're under 25, you need to Google that. It's worth your time. Promise. Um, it's good stuff. It's how we learned all the stories. We didn't have Superbook. 
Mm-mm. It's um, unfortunate. We had, we had pieces of felt paper. That's what we had. Y'all have super book. We have felt paper. But we still learn the stories. Uh, seventh grade, very healthy youth ministry. Yes. I believe that we have one of the healthiest youth ministries in the state. So do our state leaders. That's why they bring national leaders here. Um, because uh, they want to show them what God is doing in this town. Um, after high school, however... Um, Took a, took we, a we took a detour. <laughs> we like to call it building our testimony. Yes, praise God. Um, for whatever reason, we stopped following Jesus, both of us. Uh, your season actually a little bit shorter than mine. Uh, mine was longer and worse than his was. Um, and thank God for two things, because I, let me just a, address the... I believe rebellious mentality that's still stuck in some of us because some people think, well, you know, everybody goes through that season. I, I rebuke that thought in the name of yeah, Jesus. That's right. Um, because I just refuse to believe that my daughters and my son have to fall, you know, before they follow. I, I believe they can just follow. Come on. All the way into God's will for as long as they live. And their testimony can be, you know, I don't know. I just always follow Jesus. I don't yeah. know anything else but following Jesus. I, in other words, I don't think that they have to bear my scars in order to accomplish his will the way that I have at Come this on. point. Because we're not all guaranteed that Jesus won't come back in our fallen season. Yeah. We're also not all guaranteed that we'll make it through that season. And we actually know some people that didn't. Maybe some of you know some people that didn't. But we came back around, and, and both of us, very similarly, got to start. Well, I actually started in children's ministry. Yeah, yeah. You were there. I was there. It was, you did good. No, it was a, tra <laughs> it was a train wreck, is what he wanted to say. He was trying to be honorable because I signed his paychecks. And so <laughs> it was a train wreck. I started in children's ministry. That didn't last long. Uh, we both served. Yep. in youth ministry, uh, 11 years as a youth pastor and still going in the name of Jesus. Um, I only had eight years. God delivered me. Um, <laughs> sent me to 100 Cajuns in Eunice, Louisiana. Praise the Lord. Let's take a pay cut and go down to South Louisiana. Praise the Jesus for that. It's been a great trip. Um, so all in all, yeah. about 30 years worth of youth ministry and working with teenagers and watching teenagers. Uh, and also last week, I, I think this goes in line, and you'll see why here in just a minute. Last week, I found out that May is actually designated as Mental Health Month. Um, and I believe that's important. I believe it's an important aspect of what the church gets involved in. Because you can't just throw a Christian blanket all over everything, right? And tell, well, I'm praying for you. Don't you know I'm praying? You should stop it. Stop feeling that way. I've been praying for you. That just doesn't work. Right. Um, it's just not helpful. There are legitimate illnesses. We'll come back to that in a minute. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his head, so he is in his heart. Hmm. And so I believe that mental and emotional health is honestly just as important yeah. as physical and spiritual health. Um, so we wanted to take about 30 minutes here today. And, and we will never, I mean, we're just going to brush the surface. We're, we're just actually maybe planting the seed, if you will, mm -hmm. for a series that we're going to do in the future. Pastor Chris Hodges just wrote a book not too long ago. Um, I believe it was last May that, he, uh, that that book came out. That book was published called Out of the Cave. If you or someone you know uh, has a battle in that area, I highly recommend that book. Also, Pastor Craig Rochelle wrote Battlefield or Battle in the Mind or Overcome It Something. I don't know. Look it up. It'll be good. You'll enjoy it. We preached a message on that as well. So we want to talk about overcoming, how to overcome depression, how to overcome anxiety. Um, but even more, just as much, we want to talk about avoiding the pitfalls. Um, we want to answer the question, actually ask the question, and you can ask the question as well. Why do people depart the fact yes let me help you it's a crying baby it's okay come back with me many of you have been around one before just kind of hone back in 
And, uh, and don't make that mama feel bad because her baby does what babies do, okay? Why do people get so distracted so easily and not pay attention to me when I'm talking? No, no. <laughs> I've been this way since kindergarten. That's my mama. Why? Why? Yeah. Now, especially young people, because there's some statistics. Yeah. But why we see so many people go through this process Follow Jesus on fire for God. Fall off the wagon. Follow Jesus. Give of their life, their testimony, their finances, their faith, their time. Their Fall off the wagon. I'm all in, pastor. I can't find you, brother. <laughs> Why do people... Now, hear me. let me clarify. I really want to give it to you. But I was asked not too long ago, actually... A sweet lady made a little bit of an accusation. She wasn't being ugly. She said, I was told that you believe you can lose your salvation, that you preach you can lose your salvation. And I said, no, ma'am, that's not correct. I do not believe that you can lose your salvation. Your salvation is not your keys. Come on, somebody. Yeah. You cannot just be living for Jesus and then wake up one morning and be lost again. Like, oh, my goodness, where'd my salvation go? Babe! Have you seen my salvation? No, actually, I haven't, but I'd love if you found it. <laughs> you, I don't believe that. Here's what we believe. Here's what I believe. I believe that you are responsible for receiving salvation. Everybody agree? Jesus died once and for all sin. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, but we are responsible for receiving salvation. Correct? That responsibility does not end when you receive salvation. Come on. I believe that you still retain the responsibility to remain in Christ. Yep. And so just as you received and you have the responsibility to receive the free gift of God, you have a responsibility to remain and allow God to work in and through you for as long as you remain on this earth. So why do people yep. fall away? I've been asking this question for years. Being in youth ministry, uh, surrounded by literally most of my life, uh, the 14 years as a youth leader, intern, youth pastor, um, I've asked this question several times because oftentimes what happens is when, when students graduate and, and they're, they're you know, out, uh, you know, they're, they're going to the workforce, they're going to college, I ask like, man, like, not only did you stop coming to, to the youth group or to church, but like, you just stop coming, period. And what I have found out and discovered just in the tenure that I've had is there's just a lack of commitment. There's a lack of connection and like real authentic relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Like we like the ideology of God and we like attending church with our family and with our friends. We, we like it when, when we're made to. Maybe we don't like it. Uh, we, we like it when we're invited. We like it when there's giveaways for it. We, we like attending church camp when, you know, because it's fun, you know, but, but we'd rather be at the beach. We, we like those types of things, but in all actuality, if given the choice, we, we just rather do other things because there's this lack of connection to who Jesus really is. And, and that's why we see that happen. And so... What I realize is when we get to this place of, well, you know, what, what's it going to take? Or, or, you know, how do we prevent people, be, you know, from becoming prodigals? Uh, we, we see this often in, you know, 18 to 25-year-olds. They'll come to children's church, right? They'll come to VBS. They'll come to church camp. They'll come to the youth groups. They'll get plugged in while they're here and while they're invited. Church every single Sunday but then there's really truly a lack of connection and commitment. Because while here, like we teach them, hey, you know, the importance of being committed to Christ. But then when a teenager graduates and they go off to college or they go off to the workforce, a philosophy teacher can come in and teach them, no, 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 here, I can actually show you what it means to be committed to a cause. And so there's a difference between me teaching and then them showing, and they say, well, that's a cause I can feel like I can connect with yeah. and I can commit to. Because really the church has done a poor job. I, I admit, like, we've done a poor job in the process of, man, showing them 
that Jesus can really be something that you can follow. He can be someone that can be Lord over your life genuinely, and you can like really live for him and have fun doing it while living for him. Yeah, there's two, two issues that I considered in this matter. One was transformational in my perspective. Pastor David Hartwick is the district youth director of the state of New York, and he said, we have done a great job teaching young people to seek approval. And when they do what we expect them to do, we approve them. And that approval is based upon the atmosphere of the church. We have not done a great job teaching young people to seek a personal relationship with Jesus. So when what it took to be approved changes, then they just change with it because all they were doing was seeking approval. So when it was the parents or the grandparents or the youth pastor or the group or the church as a whole, then they did that because that's what it took to be approved. But then when it became the fraternity or the sorority or the philosophy teacher who unfortunately is more passionate about their calls than the people that they have been were passionate about the calls of Christ. See, that's the disconnect. The disconnect is that society is more committed to their cause than most Christians are committed to Jesus. Oh, I can't get no help today. See, we will prophesy on Sunday, but we will purple peacocking on Saturday. My Lord, I done gone back 20 years on you this morning. See, that's a real thing that we legitimately have people who left our church and 35-year-olds who refused to come back here because of a generation of people who were one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. Oh, we knew how to worship. We just didn't know how to win people. We knew how to yell with the preacher when he was in the pulpit. But unfortunately, we just didn't know how to not yell at people in personal relationships outside of the pulpit. We cannot be a body of believers who are earthly prioritizing and eternally optional. My wife said it last week. We have got to come back to a place as the people of God where we are more committed to the kingdom cause than the world is whatever they're passionate about. Kingdom things should not be optional. Earthly things should be optional. I'm not against baseball. I like baseball. Astros paid for my wife's engagement ring. I'm grateful for baseball. But up to a certain point, if I'm not careful, I can make baseball my God. I can make finances my God. I can make success my God. I can make girls my God. And if I'm not careful, I put idols in between me and what God has for me instead of making God my God and allowing him to use those things to bring him glory and lead people to him those things are a supplement not the source so it's no wonder that we see these staggering statistics like this is facts 69 percent of teenagers say they were attending church at 17 but that drops to 58 percent at age 18 that's because we allow society to tell us when our child becomes an adult help us the government doesn't get to tell me when my babies are an adult they're an adult when I say they're an adult. Yeah. Well, they're 18 years old. I can't tell. No, you can tell them whatever you need to tell them, and you can keep training them however you need to train them. I don't care if they're 18, 21, or 2. They're my babies until they're on their own. Come on, somebody. Stop t- letting the world tell you what they want to when the Word of God has already given you something. The statistics drop because people go, well, they're 18 now. They got to decide they for themselves. Go. Not if you pay them for their stuff. They don't. <laughs> it continues to drop. It continues to drop, 40% at age 19. And once they reach their 20s, y'all, this this is why young adult, we have a young adult service on Tuesday nights. Shameless plug there. This is why this is so important. Because one in three say that they used to attend church regularly at at 20 years old. Hmm. And watch this. This is scary. Individuals taking their own life was the second leading cause of death among young people between the ages of 10 and 34. Take that age bracket out, outside, it's the fourth leading cause of death. Unfortunately, these statistics are not just subject to students, okay? 
And at no point do we ever want to blame ourselves for something that somebody else decides. But I believe that God allowed what took place in 2020 to take place because he wanted us to see what we were taking for granted. Let me say that again because y'all are so easily distracted today. I believe that God allowed what took place in 2020. Now, I may be wrong. This is just my perception. This is not a biblical absolute. I believe that my heavenly father allowed things to take place in 2020 so we could see what previously we were actually taking for granted. See, calls to mental health hot guys, calls to mental health hotlines increased by 900% wow. in 2020. 900% in 2020. One in four people under the age of 30, one in four admittedly considered taking their own lives in 2020. And that number only decreases to one in 10 for every other age group. This one bothers me a lot as well. Divorce filings in 2020 increased by 20%. Because we don't know how to actually spend time together. Wow. Because our priority is not Jesus, spouse, children, work, everything else. Our priority is whatever I want, children, spouse, throw Jesus in there. Amen. Mm. Before I read the next statistic, I want you to understand that I am not against medication, modern medicine, doctors, nurses, healthcare. I just believe that those things only treat the symptoms. My daughter takes prescription twice a day, every day for a mental issue of seizures. So I would be a hypocrite if I said, you don't need to take medicines for chemical imbalances in your brain or things that may actually be going on physiologically that are causing mental and or emotional issues in your life. But I'm telling you, those things are your supplement, not your savior. Because we are the most medicated and yet the most miserable of all generations. Prescriptions for antidepressants went up 300% in 2020. People who were perfectly fine in 2019, all of a sudden needed a pill in 2020 in order to handle life. That's because everything that they were putting their identity in was taken away from them. Wow. And anything that, should be, that could be taken away from you should not be something that you put your identity in. I hope you caught that today. We need to be asking ourselves, what do we, who do we put our identity in? Yeah. Who, what is my source of fulfillment? If it can be taken away, it's in the wrong place. 3,000, according to Pastor Choco de Jesus, the secretary treasurer of the Assemblies of God, who we had just a few months ago, 3,000 Assembly of God pastors left their post in 2020. Between 2020 and 2021, they threw in the towel, or they went and served a secular job. They were like, you know what? I'll just get a job and, and tithe and give and, and serve at church like the rest. I, I can't do this anymore. Hmm. So they stepped down. Here's the point. There is no thing new under the sun. Dare I say, departing the faith, that's not new. People following and falling, that's not new. Depression, anxiety, it's not new. Leaving your post, being overwhelmed by life, being manic, that's not new. If you're taking notes with me, write this down. As we've learned in this series, it's important for us to declare, we still serve the same God. Yep. And he still gives destiny and he still gives purpose and he yep. still gives the ability to overcome. 
Yeah, so we were trying to find this passage, and I feel like this, this speaks directly to the heart of, of what we're doing and where we're going today. 1 Kings chapter 18, many of you are familiar with this passage, this particular story. Elijah the prophet, he is one of the greatest prophets we, we know and read about, and he is on Mount Carmel, and he is essentially given this challenge to the prophets of Baal, this, this evil empire, and the prophets of Baal, and the prophets of Asherah, and they are literally worshiping these idols, this pagan worship, and he gives them this challenge. He says, hey, listen, if you call upon your God, and I'm going to call upon my God, and, and if you call upon your God, and your God burns up this altar, then, hey, you win, and I lose, and then vice versa. So if you read this story, and we encourage you to go do that, First Kings 18, essentially, God, the one true God, burns up the altar, fire from heaven. This is this awesome, incredible moment that we read about in Scripture. This is eye-opening moment. And then Elijah does what any man of God would do after that. He goes and kills every single one of the prophets and just lays waste to them. He's going to put an end to it right there and Leave then. Leave one more idol on Facebook just, this week. Watch what happens. Just, just, one, <laughs> you put one more thing. You say one more thing. Like, he was done, y'all. Finished it right there. And then. This is this awesome, incredible moment. Literally, this mountaintop moment that... That Elijah had one of the greatest miracles that we see in the Bible fire from heaven y'all this is intense but then fast forward in chapter 19 the very next chapter Elijah finds himself in a very precarious situation what watch what happens in, in verse 1 now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword so Jezebel, <laughs> I don't know why I say it like that. He's, she sent a messenger to Elijah to say this, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so harshly, severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Talking about the prophets of Baal. You killed my prophets, I'm coming after you. So Elijah was afraid and ran for it. We talking about the same prophet, y'all? The same prophet we read about in chapter 18 is now running for his life in chapter 19. Yeah, because there ain't nothing scarier than a crazy woman. A, Come woman, on, you got a woman scorned is not something to be trifled with. And all, biblical, y'all. That ain't just being funny. That's in the Bible. And all the men said amen. No, you better not say amen, crazy fool. <laughs> when he get, no, it's okay. I feel like we are each other's hype men. Like, I got you, bro. <laughs> when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He's done. He's over it. The, that's the, that is the last straw. That is the last Facebook comment. <laughs> that is the last time somebody's going to talk about my mama. You know, he's, he's done. That he has had enough. He's he tells the Lord right here, I've had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Come on, you, you remember in 2018 when, when Eunice High won the state championship in football. Yay! It's okay, Iota. Oh, hang on. Iota beat them on their home That's field right. at happened. home. I'm it's just okay. letting it's okay. <laughs> say like, But you remember the good old days before 2020 came in. Ugh. Like, we, we understand the difference. We can put ourselves in, in, Elijah, in Elijah's shoes, like the high highs, but then all of a sudden we experience the low lows. Come on, you remember when your finances took a turn for the worst all of a sudden. Like Elijah is sitting in here and all of a sudden in one chapter he is prophetic. Come on somebody to pathetic <laughs> under a broom tree. He goes from king of the mountain to crybaby under a broom tree. Like do you see the difference? I, I remember I, I was almost in the same type boat. Um, Rewind back to 2007. Yes, I'm still young, 
but I remember like a day like today where we're going to honor our, our seniors. Um, I was a senior graduating high school, and my youth pastor gave me this Bible. Praise God, I still have it. This is, this is cool. It's, it's very sentimental to me, and, and to our seniors, we're going we're gonna to give out Bibles that we've personalized, but, but I never forget, I was, this was a mountaintop moment for me. This was, man, I was achieving something that, that was a big deal to, to my family, and I was serving in ministry. I was, man, serving my church. I was on platform ministry, singing, and being able to speak in my youth group and, and my young adults group. It, I felt like I was on the spiritual high, if you will. But fast forward two years later in 2009, I was being removed from platform ministry because I was having this relationship with my girlfriend that I should have never had. And these two ends of the spectrum, you can say, well, Pastor Weston, what happened? Where was the disconnect? Where, what's the difference? And the difference is, this is a cool memento, but it will only ever be a paperweight if I don't actually let it become something in my life that it's supposed to be like a foundational principle. Like this is like not just words on a page, but this is biblical. This is, this is life-giving. This is something that I need to commit to and connect to. It's a personal savior that I'm wanting to connect to. Jesus, the word made flesh, dwelling among us here in 2022 as he was back then. But yet, he wasn't Lord and savior over my life. I went to church, I grew up in church, I was in the youth group, I was doing ministry, but that was the problem, I was just doing ministry, instead of letting Jesus actually minister to me and through me. And so I went from experiencing this mountaintop moment like Elijah did, to experiencing this valley low, not, not even able to get into Bible college. The difference is when we go through the tough times and we experience the valley lows, how do we respond? How, how do we react when, when life throws us a curveball and we feel like we just can't make it? Number two, we have to be aware that when we get overwhelmed, we may feel isolated and alone, but, but that's not the end. I need to speak quickly to the uh, 15 to 35 year old specifically, but I think it's healthy for everybody in the room. Uh, this is not a worldview. Mm. Like this is not one way to see the world. And then you have uh, Google's agenda to see the world or Disney's agenda to see the world or your philosophy teacher's agenda or fraternity and or coworker boss or somebody outside of the church. This is an exclusive claim. In other words, you can't agree with this and them. You can't. We have to choose. 15 to 35 years old, it's very important. And if you're gonna choose later, you may as well choose now. This is, according to what Jesus said, the only way to see the world. There is no other way. There's not like many roads that lead to heaven. There's one, and his name is Jesus. Yeah. And then he said, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. One of the things that he told us, which is a commandment for us, is that we, I'm speaking to everybody again now, is that we're not just called to gather, although we are, we're called to go. Yeah. We're called to go and teach and train and disciple more people because things are going to happen to everybody, but how you respond to what happens is going to determine your destiny and what God had already decided for you to accomplish. Elijah chose the wrong way. When we look at the story of Elijah, we see somebody who is possibly bipolar. If you read this story the right way, you can see the personality and the character for possibly the chemical imbalance mm. of a mighty man of God. He's manic. One moment, he's at the top. Yeah. 
the next moment, he's at the bottom. And guys, the only thing that changed was one woman's comment. One comment. Like, guys, the Facebook post was phenomenal. The real on Instagram for all the non-Facebookers because all your parents are on there. Come on, did I just get the 20-year-olds back? They're like, I, I got a Facebook, but I don't use that. My parents are on Facebook. <laughs> all right, so your Instagram, real, or your TikTok video, come on, I'm, I'm trying to connect with you some way until the next new thing comes out that I'm not going to have in Jesus' name. It was like the video was made, the highlight reel, it was all edited out. Fire came down, consumed the altar with water on it. They were screaming and cutting themselves, and all I did was ask, and God moved in a mighty way like Pentecost took place on Mount Carmel. Look at this pope. One person came in and put a comment. Yeah. One comment. And everything that God just did is for not in Elijah's spirit, mm. from Elijah's perspective. You cannot let one email ruin your calling. Come on. You cannot let one comment take away God's fulfillment. But we do what Elijah did whenever we wake up on Monday and we're not preaching in the pulpit. We do what Elijah did when we go from king of the mountain to cry. What is a broom bush? Okay, you got me. I mean, this dude has done resorted to housework, y'all. What is he? My man is sad. He's just doing anything. When we get overwhelmed, I believe that we need to surround ourselves by the right people yeah. and reconnect to the body of Christ. I don't care how old you are. Who you surround yourself with will determine your direction. Good company, bad company, it matters. That's right. And they are way more likely to bring you down than you are to lift them up. You have to surround yourself by the right people. And we have to connect to the body of Christ. Pastor Chris Hodges says this way, the first problem in the Bible was not sin. Hmm. It was solitude. And never confuse, this is just helpful teaching, Never confuse you isolating yourself with other people exiling you. Because we will exile ourselves and accuse other people of isolating us. Mm. Well, nobody wants to be around me. No, you don't want to be around anybody. Yeah. Well, nobody called me. But who have you called? Come on. Well, they haven't even checked in recently. When's the last time you checked in and called and prayed or text or gathered? See, what scares me even more than what happened in 2020 is what has already begun to happen in 2022. The same people who realized how significant being able to gather together in the name of Jesus truly was because they were hurting without the ability to gather yeah. are now, again, just two years taking for granted the ability to gather and Sunday morning has again become optional. Wow. Sowing, tithing, giving, serving, you put whatever title you want on it. Eternal things just within, just within two years, eternal things have again become optional. Mm. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man and or mankind at this point to be alone. We'll say this to our seniors today, and, and I want to say this to you today. It, don't, don't seclude yourself. Like, why would you be by yourself when you have a community of people that love you? Like, if you look to your left and your right, like you see people in this church that they may not know you, but all you have to do is it's just ask for help, man. There's, there's people in here that, that want to love you and, and support you. And, and that's why it's so important. That's why we're talking about this connection. That's why small groups are important. L listen, we get it. Real relationship is not going to happen in rows. 
You, never may, you, you, you may never meet somebody in first service or third service, but New Hope is your church home. But can I tell you, real relationship is going to be built in a small group when I can look across the table at you and I can establish a relationship with you and I can get to hear your story and I can get to build life with you and we can sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. That's just not a cool quote that we put on a cross from Mardell's or Lifeway. That is life-giving and we need to get to a place where we're actually willing to do that with one another because I want to see you win. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but watch this, encouraging one another. Man, why, why does the world have, do a better job at encouraging one another than we as the church do? Why is it that, that a teenager can leave here and find fulfillment in a fraternity and a sorority than they did here in a youth group or in a church? Why does that happen? Because we've got to get to a place where we're really genuinely encouraging one another all the more as you see in the day approaching. So by no means do we want to just throw like a Christian blanket over real anxiety issues, real chemical imbalances, um, real issues of depression. That's not the point. Um, Because just telling somebody who's legitimately struggling with these things to go pray more is not necessarily the answer. Uh, It's not that simple. We can't oversimplify things that the Bible even makes a little bit more complicated. But at the same time, I do agree with Leonard Ravenhill when he said, no man or woman is greater than their prayer life. Hmm. And essentially, I'm putting layman terms to it here, but he says, a prayerless person is a sinful person, Hmm. but a prayerful person is a sinless person. Wow. I'm not just saying you need to go read your Bible every day and you'll feel better that 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 may be part of the solution. And I do believe you need to read your Bible every day because statistically, if you read God's word every day, what you get in your mind as a man thinks so he is will go into your heart and out of the heart flows every deed of man. So I do believe that you need to get back to the Bible, but I don't believe it's just that. And I don't want to oversimplify or self-righteously or insensitively simplify, here's what I do know. God has always, Jesus has always delivered his people. Elijah could not go to the pharmacy or to the psychiatrist. And this man obviously has some emotionally unhealthy things, possibly even some mental chemical imbalances. He is struggling with something that is greater than himself. He went from mountaintop to broom bush in a moment. He's that manic. Verse 8 of... 1 Kings chapter 19 says, underneath the tree, Elijah got up. Hey, listen, sometimes you just got to get up. Come on. I'm not saying strap up your boots and get over it. I'm saying deny the devil his right to your depression in the name of Jesus. And sometimes you just got to get up. You got to go eat with somebody. You got to get... A drink of something healthy, not poison. I'm trying to help somebody today. Be not drunk with wine, but with the Holy Spirit and somebody else that is. Come on. Sometimes you just got to get up. And you got to refuse to give the enemy access to your isolation. The Bible says strengthened by the food. Man, did you know that you can lose your holiness just because you're hungry? Like, sometimes you just need to get something to eat, y'all. 
Everybody is not mad at you. The world is not falling apart. You skipped lunch. I'm trying to help somebody practically today. Go eat a burger and be happy. The Bible says after he ate, oh, come on, he was back on. 40 days and 40 nights. Pastor, I'm back. God, I'm here. Use me. He reached Horeb, operated in the supernatural. Can't nobody run 40 days and 40 nights without food. But Elijah did it. And guess what? That fool burnt out again. (laughs) Verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing? What else do I have to do? See, Elijah's blaming God and the people of God. And Elijah's, and God is going, no, 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 no. Now, I read that as a dad who has a lot of stuff to do. And he came into the sun like, boy, what are you? That's how I read it the first time. (laughs) But then I saw a father who just genuinely cares about his child. Mm -hmm. Who came in and said, hey, what's wrong? What are you doing in here? Watch Elijah's response in verse 10. He replied, I've done everything you wanted me to do. Like the pastors all across this nation, including me. God, everything we've built is gone. They won't come. Are they ever going to come back? How am I going to pay our staff? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to get this going again? I have been very zealous. You know what I left in order to live here. How are we ever going to build a building? We can't now. I call the architect and tell him to cancel the plans. Fast forward two and a half years later. Why didn't I build the building? Do you know how much everything has gone up since 2020? (laughs) Interest rates and cost of everything. We're going to spend a million dollars more building the same stupid building. You knew. This is where Elijah is. Guys, I've done done this right here. Mm. Y'all weren't around. I'm just sharing it with you. God, I've been praying. For my spouse. God, I've been praying for my children. I've been serving you for 40 years and my kids won't come. God, I've been tithing. I've been giving above and beyond. Why are we stuck in this situation financially? You said you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that I can't. I can't even pay a bill, much less live in a blessing. This is where Elijah is. Can you hear it? Maybe I haven't named your thing, but Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. When the Israelites have rejected your covenant, everybody else around me stopped living for you. They tore down the altars. They're conceited and arrogant. Earthly things are priority and kingdom things are optional. I said earthly things are priority and kingdom things are optional. Mm. Why is it when finances get tough, Jesus is the first one to suffer? Why is it when time gets tight, church is the first thing to go? Why is it that when we get tired, we don't want to get up on Sunday? We get up every other... That's how Elijah feels right now. Oh, we'll get up at 4 o'clock to go deer hunting and duck hunting, but getting up by 8 o'clock to get the family ready to come. I can't get no help today. That's how Elijah feels. These people have rejected your covenant. They put your prophets to death. Oh, maybe not a physical death, but I know people that don't want to have anything to do with church because of how church people treated them. Mm. I know pastors who have been spiritually crucified by people that they were trying to minister to. Now, I thank God that that's not happening here. Because I will, in the name of Jesus, invite you to attend somebody else's church. 
I will protect my staff. I will protect my bride. I will protect my babies. And I will protect this flock. But Elijah has run out of rope. And he's saying, I'm the only one left. He is feeling the weight of all the finances and all the vision and everything just like many people here have felt over the years nobody else will serve pastor I have to come and then Elijah says I'm the only one left and they're trying to take me out too watch this verse 11 and the Lord God says this is always his answer to isolation. All right, I hear you. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. You don't need me to do anything else for you, Elijah. You need me to do something in you. For I'm about to pass by you. And there's way more to this story the Bible says when Elijah goes out and he stands on the edge of the mountain that there was a great wind but the Lord was not in the wind and then the Bible says that there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and then the Bible says after the earthquake there was a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and then after the fire there was a whisper see we as Pentecostals and charismatic and spirit filled types we like to accuse God of not being in the room if there's not a fire wow. we like to accuse churches of not having the Holy Ghost if they're not emotionally excessive and consumed by the fire but in this passage it wasn't the fire that changed the trajectory and the perspective of the man of God it was the whisper and it was in the whisper of the voice of God that Elijah heard go put your hand on Haziel and go put your hand on Jehu and go put your hand on the boy named Elisha because the anointing on the inside of you is about to pass to the generation all around you yep. and you are about to become more fulfilled by what you watch me use them to do than you would ever be fulfilled by what I allow you to do Jesus number four Jesus has always given and had a divine destiny for us to walk in. What does your cave look like? When's the last time you just said, man, I'm, I'm in it. I, I'm, I'm feeling this. Elijah's in this cave. He's at the end of himself. And oftentimes we can look around at our situation and say, this is so much bigger than I can handle. But I'm so glad and I'm so thankful that no matter how dark it may get, the fact is God always shows up. And he had a divine destiny for Elijah, though in the moment it didn't seem like it. So no matter how deep you find yourself in the cave, you have a divine destiny and God is waiting to call you out. He's always been faithful. He's, I said he's always been faithful. And he's always been, he's, he's been proving this all the way back into Genesis. Let me show you. See, in Genesis, he's the seed that bruised the serpent's head. In Exodus, he's the fire by day and the, excuse me, the fire by night and the cloud by day. In Leviticus and Numbers, he's the high priest making intercession for his people in the Holy of Holies. In Deuteronomy, you know that book that we often skip over? He's the bearer up in the everlasting arms. In Joshua, he is the captain of the host of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. 
In Ruth, he's the perfect groom that takes on himself the perfect bride. In First and Second Samuel, he's the one calling on those who are young, calling them into priesthood and into the throne room of Israel. And first and second Kings, he is the power of God, that he is the chariot of fire. He is the mantle of Elijah. Come on, that story that we just read about, he's there. He shows up in first and second Chronicles. He is the Shekinah glory of God that filled the temple of Solomon, that gave wisdom. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is the voice calling to a bedraggled nation to rebuild the walls of its ancient and holy city. Oh, and Esther, he's that queenly figure making intercession for the people that she loves so dearly. And Job, he's the patience of the pride of God that causes that man to cry out in affliction, though God slay me, yet I will trust in him. Oh, in Psalm, he's the good shepherd that leads us beside still waters, that I will rejoice in him no matter where I go and no matter where I'm led, God, I will follow you. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's the beginning of all wisdom, the wise instruction of a father to his son. In Song of Solomon, he's the lily of the valley, the fairest of the fair. He's the rose of Sharon. In Isaiah, he's the lamb wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquities. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's the voice calling to you saying, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the belly, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet to the nations. Does anybody in the room need to hear that today? That you are called, that you are chosen, and you are a royal priesthood. In Ezekiel, he's the wind coming from the four corners of the earth that revives a valley of dry bones into praise and adoration. And Daniel, he's the rock that came out of the mountain, not with hand, crushing all other nations. And Hosea, he's the loving and affectionate husband that redeems a degenerate bride. And that bride is me, Jesus. I need you. And the minor prophets of Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and the books go on. He's the last voice of the prophets that prepared a redemptive work for the foundations of the universe. Now watch this. We get all excited because we just, we just found out that Jesus is in the Old Testament. But then for 400 years, it goes dark. What happened to the miracles? What happened to the signs and the wonders? What happened to the prophets like Elijah? that figured it out. What happened to those types of things? 400 years? We don't hear from God? Are we, are we lost? Did he forget about me? No. He had a plan all along. And his plan was sent in the form of a baby in Matthew, wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in a manger. In Mark, he shows up as the healer of the blind, the lame, and the heart. In Luke, he's the great physician, the Christ of Calvary, the resurrected Lord. In John, he is the Word made flesh dwelling among us. In Acts, he's the giver of power to brand new believers that shook the world upside down. And in Roman, he continues as the only fulfillment of law that is able to free us from all condemnation. In the letters that Paul wrote in, to Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossian, and Thessalonica, he's the perfect doctrine of the church of Jesus Christ that's going to be good enough for you and for me. To Timothy, Titus, Philemon, he's the dedication of young men who have consecrated themselves to a lifetime of service to Jesus. In Hebrews, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In James, Peter, John, and Jude, he's the greatest power in the universe, the power of love that brings together the body of Christ. Oh, but he arrives again in Revelation as the light of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Alpha Omega, beginning and end, everlasting to everlasting. He was always here, he always is, and he always will be. And he's not going to stop loving you now. Come on, give Jesus some praise. Lord, we worship you. It's all about you, Jesus. Watch this, watch this. We get excited, we get pumped up, man, that's powerful. 
But can I tell you, we can talk about it all we want, but if we don't let this impact this, then there's no chance of saving this community. If we don't let the Jesus that we just got done talking about, that we've read about, that we've looked over in Deuteronomy, if we don't let that God be this God over my life, then guess what? There is no hope. So let's take this and put it in here and live it out there that no matter what age, no matter what demographic, no matter what we go through in this life, we can know and trust that God is still God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So answer the question today. Am I really living this thing out? Is he really truly Lord over my life? Is he my savior? Is the same God that I read about the same God that I live for? Am I connected? He's always delivered his people and he's not gonna stop delivering me. He's always had a divinely encounter with me, a destiny for me, but if I'm not in relationship with him, then I miss it. Is his kingdom my first priority?